Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 169th nice <laughs> episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that broke into Marrow's office last year and never looked back. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Cliff Daigle, aka at Word of Commander. We're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. Glad to be here. Looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. This show, as always, is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, chat on our incredibly awesome Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Indeed. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast, including, um, I noticed today, you can pick up Modern Horizons boxes from Cool Stuff for a cool $190 with that coupon. Again, that's Finance 5. That's a good price. I might need to buy another couple of those. So, Cliff, what's on the agenda this week? Well, James, this week we have our usual four. First off, we got to talk about the top movers. Uh, some cards have gone crazy in recent days with all the spoilers. Then we're going to be on to our picks of the week. We're going to share what we think are some of the best places to put your magic money. After that, we've got some tournament results to discuss. And then we're going to talk a little bit about these Modern Horizon spoilers that are just making it rain on so many ancillary cards. I, I can't believe... I, I'm just looking at this fixed Mother of Runes, and all I can say is, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, that it's not a human. Yeah, I'm I think a, a, so a lot glad. of people in Modern feel that way. And I, oh. and, I think, and I think we can expect that, you know, there's going to be a... This shouldn't be a human right reality check on a lot of cards moving forward from <laughs> because... They, they they are part of what they are doing here is looking to reinforce some other tribes. Indeed, indeed. All right, so let's uh, jump right in here on our top movers. Um, at the bottom of the list, flagging Karn the Great Creator, one of my picks from recent weeks, moving a little bit up the, up the ladder from 10 to 13. Very odd indeed to see a recently printed standard card, uh, a rare specifically, um, moving up. Um, when it's not making a big, huge splash in standard. Typically, for a rare to be doing this well, you'd want to be seeing it in both standard and modern. But Karn is mostly showing up in just a, a whole pile of different modern lists, and I think that's what's got people most excited. Also viable in uh, Legacy and certainly in Vintage, where it's utterly broken. Um, just a great, great card. And I, I think we're going to see a retrace as the supply, the second wave of supply hits for war and things start to move in the other direction. But there is this kind of like discussion point about how much uh, wallet weight Modern Horizons is about to steal from the next, you know, the second and third waves of war product. Um, and the fact that, you know, war is a summer set. So it's heading into a season which is traditionally the lull um, of the year for the hobby. And, you know, I'm very curious to see, you know, what is going to happen to some of the best cards in this you know, set that is jam-packed with staples and also one of the best-selling sets of all time. We've got, uh, we've had three things recently to really just empty our wallets over. All the War of the Spark stuff, including the uh, alternate art Japanese stuff, 
and Mythic uh, Edition. We, Mythic Edition was, uh, I mean, even if you got your money back, you still were going to spend money. And now we've got Modern Horizons, which uh, uh, this is going to be a print-to-demand set, correct? Well, so, sort of. I, the, a lot of people throw that around as though that means it's just going to be infinite. And I think well, not the... infinite, but like, uh, for example, for those who uh, are more used to it, the um, Modern Masters sets of previous odd years. Um, the first one sold out, sold out, gone. The second one, uh, not nearly so, but then it was uh, not as juiced. And then the third one was just about in that sweet spot. So that's what I'm expecting that you'll be able to get sealed product for most of the time that you want it, hopefully. More or less. What I'm hearing is that the this is being printed to 70 to 80% of the size of like a spring magic set. So in comparison to war, there might be say two thirds to three quarters of this product around, which makes sense. It's not going to be printed to the same level as a standard set because the boxes are twice as expensive. And as right. you move up the price curve, you pass through tiers of player commitment and people drop off that curve pretty steadily up over a hundred dollars. I so, like, uh, I like tiers of player commitment. That's a, that's a good way to put that. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's just, I mean, sometimes the player is fully committed, but just doesn't have the budget. That's also true. Um, but the, 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 the core thrust of the argument is that nothing is ever unlimited with magic. The, the whole premise is that they want to move us from set to set every few months. Right. In this case, it's, you know, every barely six weeks. Yeah, exactly. It's like we're, we're coming the, and the cycle is foreshortening. So as that process goes on, um, under, you know, understand that the bulk of the sales of a set are in the first six weeks and past that point, they've already moved on to some new hype cycle. And so even though people are going to need war cards for, you know, another full year and a bit, a uh, year and a half or so, the reality is that most of the sealed product at least is going to get, has already been sold or will be sold out in the next wave. And past that point, you've got, you know, people being distracted by Modern Horizons, by the core set this summer, by Commander decks, which are now slotted in as, as a summer release, and then on to what is, I'm sure, going to be an exciting fall set. So all of that adds up to, you know, a, a situation where Horizons will definitely be present throughout the next calendar year. And at some point, eBay will just be full of boxes. And there'll be some kind of race to the bottom. Wholesale cost is in the 150 to 170 range, depending on who you're talking about um, and how much product they typically purchase and therefore what the relationship is like with their distributor. Um, but in the end, you know, looking out to 2020, middle of next year, and certainly beyond into 2021, I see this shaping up like an Eternal Masters situation where... As I said last week, Eternal Masters was printed in the summer. Then again, they put out some product near Christmas and people groaned and moaned. But then a year later, it didn't matter. The foils were like already taking off for the stratosphere. And the thing about this set where because the boxes are so expensive, the um, the lit, the inherent limiter that is generated by the wholesale cost of the box is so much higher, um, you know, is a pretty big deal. And we're already seeing that play out in the way that the new dual land cycle that was revealed today is currently being priced in the mid twenties for, you know, what in a standard set would be a $10 card. That's uh, true. But uh, don't forget, Hori well, Horizon Canopy gets played in a whole bunch of decks that 
might not even care about it. There's some Tron lists that'll play some Horizon Canopy just so they don't uh, have a problem with, oh, I've got one too many lands. And Tron, uh, with Karn the Great Creator being able to fetch up the Microsynth Lattice, like if you ever needed proof that fun is a zero-sum game in Magic, Karn <laughs> and Microsynth Lattice, that is your jam. And you can do that in tournaments until your fingers fall off. I mean, the, the toolbox utility of Karn is, is a big part of why I put him on my list recently. So moving right along on our on the rest of our top movers list, we got Ugin the Spear Dragon, the Ugin's Fate promo, moving from 250 to about 350 or about a 40% gain. I see this as, as a rising tide raises all boats kind of situation. When you bring the focus back onto Ugin uh, with the new Ugin the Ineffable, um, uh, Ineffable printed in War of the Spark, um, it also highlights for people that uh, the original Ugin was not getting a reprint and he can't get reprinted in Modern Horizons. And so, you know, all versions of Ugin take off. Plus the uh, Mythic Edition version, they were priced around the same. You could get uh, the Mythic Ugin or right. the uh, Ugin's Fate version. Uh, you pick the one you like better. And uh, it seems like a fair bet that there's less of the Ugin's Fate promo out there than there would be of the Mythic Edition. I think that's correct. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember exactly how the Ugin's Fate packs got handed out. Uh, that it was it wasn't that long ago, but I have no memory of how that happened. I'd have to go back and double check my notes. It, it was certainly an LGS mm -hmm. handout, um, and I can't remember if you had to win an F and M or something. Something to get like it. that. I don't think it was part. I don't think they were participation packs. I think that they were winner packs. Mm. Um, all right, so next one I wanted to flag was Direfleet Daredevil um, from Rivals of Ixalan. Only moved up 43% from 350 to 5. N normally not the kind of thing that you should be excited about, but this is one of these cases where this is a good opportunity to get off the train. Direfleet Daredevil is only seeing like very modest play, occasionally in Modern, occasionally in Commander. So it's mostly a standard card and a spec that I'm sure I called out back when it was revealed that hasn't really gone anywhere. And I've been sitting on about 30 copies that I got in on it in on around three dollars or something um maybe a year ago and because it's seeing a lot of play in standard right now i think card kingdom's probably offering the best uh 390 credit three dollars cash and this is there's so much going on right now and so many good specs to pile money into that any of these stalled specs that you were, are sitting around in your box of shame where you're looking at them and going oh it'll get there one day no 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 no, no. if you've got time and energy pull that stuff out get it into a buy list get the credit in your hand so that you can buy the next thing that explodes um, to do with Modern Horizons or whatever the next thing after that is. So, yeah, get off the train on Dire Fleet. I'm with you. I believe I've got a couple play sets that I bought when I was like, oh, my God, this card is like the best Snapcaster variant that there's ever been. And it, it's kind of not. So, uh, indeed, the Box of Shame will need to be rated, and we need to just move on from this. Also because it's rotating out in, what, four months? and uh, your price isn't going to get any better. Yeah, the time is now. Uh, next on the list, we've got Scrying Sheets at a Cold Snap, moving from 20 to 30. This is on the back of snow cards being confirmed. They were rumored for months. Uh, people had moved in on Scrying Sheets as early as six to eight weeks ago, um, but we finally got confirmation of some snow permanents. Nothing really exciting, as we'll talk about in segment four, uh, on the snow front yet, but I suspect that we've got some pretty spicy ones coming coming our way. 
Uh, I went ahead and, and unloaded like 30 copies to Card Kingdom today at about 24, I believe, uh, on the basis that who knows how much snow we're getting. The thing about Modern Horizons is we have like 40 different keywords included in the set and a lot of sub-themes. So it's unclear so far based on what we've seen in the early days of the previews, just how robust some of these themes are. And with the buy list offer so tasty on scrying sheets, I'm happy to get off the train on most of my copies and then hold back a few in case there's a further spike. That's a pretty reasonable way to go about it. Keep a few in case they really go crazy. You've already cashed in for a profit, especially if you pick the credit option and move on to all the other stuff that is, this has made its gain and let somebody else try and uh, get the last drop of blood out of the stone. Yeah, because I mean, eight weeks ago, these were going for yeah, about $10, $10 bucks, or yeah. $11 or whatever. So this is, a, this is a straight up double up, even if you're taking the cash option. Uh, next up, we have Sliver Queen, the legend out of Stronghold that is on the reserve list, has gone from about $115 to $175 for a 50-some-odd percent gain. And uh, this was a pick of yours last week, so take a bow, James. There you go. Good man. Yeah, this isn't... I mean, it's a very shallow bow. There's there's two main things going on here that I can't really take credit for. The first is this reserveless card that was already at a tipping point in relatively short supply that, you know, players have been chipping away at it for years because Slivers is one of the more popular commander tribes overall, even though we haven't gotten Slivers for a while. Um, the second thing is that Slivers always sort of made sense as a tribe that could make a comeback in Modern Horizons because we know that they're bringing in some old cards that and trying to reinforce some tribes in modern. Like we spotted the tribal likelihood pretty early on um, and then heard echoes of things like snow and slivers kind of floating around. So, you know, I've picked up some of these as well. They've already done, you know, I was picking them up under 100. Now we're looking at them being 150 to 175. If we actually get slivers revealed, and by the time people hear this cast, you know, Friday or Saturday, we may well have slivers revealed. And if they are, then you can expect this, I think, to solidify solidify closer to $200. And um, I, I got nothing to add to that. I've, I've always loved this one. That's my uh, commander for a token deck, and uh, her children are ever part of her. <laughs> I'll tell you what my question, my key question on the slivers is, is whether we're getting a new five-color sliver as one of the mythics in the set, or assuming that they're there, or that they reprint sliver over. Well, they can't. No, because Sliver Hive Overlord Lord. was in... Can't be Hive Lord. Can't be Hive Lord, but Overlord was only in Scourge or Onslaught or one of those. And and then was reprinted in the premium Sliver. So it is staff. not currently modern legal and therefore it could be reprinted. That's intriguing. Correct. And it's and it's it, and it's actually the most popular sliver commander. It's not it's not queen and it's not no, because, uh, because the, Hive Lord. Those are those right, are the because 99. the Overlord can just go find whichever sliver you want. Exactly. So I, I think Overlord could easily be a reprint here and then a bunch of cool cool new kind of like a bunch of interesting slivers. Given how far they let the design team off the chain here, these could be some very interesting slivers. Uh, let's see. All right. Um, next up on our list of things that has gone crazy this past week is the Mythic Edition version of Nicol Bolas Planeswalker has gone from about 65 to around 100. Uh, this is probably on the back of everything Nicol Bolas. There's nothing more thematically fun than having, we have, what, five versions of a Nicol Bolas Planeswalker now? And 
you yeah. know, this is also uh, people are saying they want a full set of Mythic Edition. So if you've got your ME3, then you need to make sure you've got all the first one. And just it's just a, a great sign for the collectability of Mythic Edition that even the lower ones are starting to rise in price. Yeah, there's a bunch of things going on. Ravager is uh, a pretty solid commander. Nickel Bullets the Ravager from the core set last summer. Um, so you can't, you know, you can't make Nickel Bullets Dragon God your commander. But if you want to play a Dragon God deck, you just make Ravager your, your commander and include Dragon God in the 99. Um, I started building that deck, uh, you know, Bullets themed um, two weeks ago. I'm pretty happy with like the thematic elements. There's given all of the characters that are associated with Bolas and the cards that specifically reference story events related to him and his minions, there's a really great like Grixis mid-range control-y type deck that's not competitive EDH at all. It's very much about like fun and beers EDH. And between that and Feather, I've got a couple of new arrows in the quiver as it were. <laughs> I like that way of phrasing it. And, and you're absolutely right to point out that people are going back and filling in gaps in their Mythic Edition collection. Um, one of the things I think that people gives people confidence about that is that a lot of people can now hang their hats on the stat of 12,000 units instead of our earlier estimates of 10 to 15,000 units. Um, so, um, you know, knowing that there's only 12,000 of something in the world, or at least believing it, certainly makes, you know, adds confidence to purchase. Yeah, we didn't have the number for the first one, but they we figured it out pretty quick on the second one. They just told us straight out on the third. They're eventually going to figure yeah. out exactly what to do, but that's a whole other topic. So next on the list, we've got Legion Warboss out of Guilds of Ravnica. This is a goblin, you know, reminiscent of Rabble Master, who, of course, was pretty dominant uh, in his day in Standard. Um, going from four dollars to six fifty on on uh, non foils, this is on the back of both constant standard play and showing up in a Karn Red Prison deck in Modern, um, where I believe it was a four of. So you know, anytime a imprint standard rare or mythic can cross over in both of those formats and be you know a consistent presence, that's going to help its chances of exploding. Plus, it's taking the space that uh, Pile Driver was in. Wait, not Pile Driver. Um, uh, Rabble Master. Rabble Master, where um, Rabble Master makes yeah, yeah. other Rabble Masters have to attack. And now with Legion War Boss, only the token you make that turn has to attack. So instead of, you don't get the uh, one big bonus on the original Goblin, but you do get the uh, added flexibility of your other Goblins don't have to if you don't want to. So this is uh, an easy way to close out a game relatively quick. There's also the question of whether we're going to get enough Black-Red Goblins in horizons to justify things like foil pile drivers taking off um, and legion war boss might make that deck as well depending on how it's built we know we have goblin matron now so goblins is definitely being reinforced for modern and i suspect that we're we probably still have a couple of spicy goblins yet to be revealed oh there's well, we're gonna get to the goblins don't you don't you worry it's there um next up right. is one of my personal favorites sarkin the masterless the war of the planeswalker I'm sorry, War of the Spark Planeswalker. He's gone from $2 to $3.50. That's not usually a huge bump. That is almost a double up. And the Jeskai Super Friends list that was second place, right? It was second? I don't remember exactly what place it was, but it got a lot of hype on camera this past weekend. Uh, I've built the deck in Magic Arena, and uh, if you're the kind of person who likes to activate five Planeswalkers in a turn and make sure that the other person is just hating life, 
this is the way you want to go. Slamming him down and your planeswalkers now are just attacking is so good. It's so, so good. Yeah, it turns out Jeskai Super Friends is a real deck and standard. Um, had a couple of top eight finishes this weekend. Buy list is up to like 250 cash, over $3 credit. Um, <laughs> just tur- so turns out that's another one I have 40 or 60 copies of coming in from Europe that were bought under a dollar. So pretty happy with how these planeswalkers are doing out of War of the Spark and really speaks volumes about how that set is going to look a few years out. How many like truly good playable cards are coming out of that set there's a there's a whole lot and i'm really uh we're gonna have to talk about it in a future episode but the uh packs that they're gonna start handing out with the potential for the alternate art planeswalkers is something I'm, yeah, yeah the, the corset, corset packs pack. that's something i'm really uh, looking forward to this summer all right so next on the list we had flusterstorm exploded um the other day um when people uh, found out that it was the buy a box promo um, a card that we had also heard rumors about at various points, uh, heard some conflicting information that it might be another card. At one point I was thinking it might be force of will if they really wanted You're to push things crazy. and make sure the set sold out. Then I backpedaled and thought maybe counterspell, um, because counterspell had a bunch of alternate printing. So making it a buy a box would not, you know, be a problem the way it was with Nexus of Fate, uh, but Flusterstorm makes just as much sense from that, almost as much sense from that perspective, because its recent Iconic Masters printing meant that there was supply lying around. Um, and, you know, many pros have already come out on saying that, you know, this is a nice uh, card to have in, you know, in your back pocket for Modern, but isn't necessarily something that's going to sh- instantly show up as a four of. So it's not clear, you know, where the price will settle once all of the buy box copies get out there. But I was certainly happy to be selling into a $30 spike with my, you know, $11, $12, $14 copies. Well, I mean, the really weird thing is that they uh, went for the buy boxes are no longer, um, what's his face? They're no longer foil. They uh, announced that the buy box yeah. is going to be non-foil. Uh, potentially for the next, I, I suppose it's Nexus of Fate, like it's the only copies are foil but also didn't they say that the card is not actually in the print run correct so I, and that's normal buy boxes are typically not in the set as well so making this one non-foil actually makes a lot of sense because the c- complaint with nexus of fate was that they had to replace it at the tournament level pretty frequently because it has no non-foil printing so if it, it can often constitute be be easily assigned uh, as a marked card um, if it's showing warping and the rest of the deck is not. And so they were using proxies at the tournament level, including on camera, which was just a bad scene for everybody. So to eliminate that problem, they decided to make the buy box promo a non-foil, which makes sense for a card that is targeted at the competitive scene. That's a really smart decision, and I, I'm sure that they will continue along those lines where it's appropriate in the future. I'm relieved for that too. Uh, next up, we have the uh, Rare Land from Dissension. Pillar of the Peroons has gone from about 5 to 15. Uh, this is probably on the back of the new Niv-Mizzet and uh, the multicolored goodness that he represents. Uh, I know more than a few people who are arguing about the perfect Niv-Mizzet list. They're trying to balance uh, having the right number of cards from each guild. And this is a real, like... It's a math problem for hardcore magic players is what the 
precise numbers are to draw the 10 cards off Niv-Mizzet. Yeah, for the commander players that are looking to like iterate, like make a hobby of iterating their deck, <laughs> Niv-Mizzet is their poster child. Uh, yeah. And anytime you've got a five-color land with no penalty that fits into your deck, that's going to be, and that hasn't been printed in a while, that's going to be a recipe for a spike. Uh, I hadn't put it on the list, but I'm going to just take a minute and see what my favorite five-color land is at. Good old reflecting pool. Mm, it's been on a steady upward trend since its last printing. Let's see. Last printed in Conspiracy and is at the 13-ish range. Hmm. Foils have done have done significantly better. Yeah. Well, the foils in Shadowmoor all have a different watermark of some kind, if I remember it. They have like a, a plains watermark or something. I, I remember I wrote about this um, a while ago, and it's got the, the weird uh, extra layer watermark in its text box. Got it. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, what was next on the list? Polar Kraken out of Ice Age going from 2 to $12. This is a reserve list card, believe it or not. Um, and I know of at least one rando collector out there that is trying to buy all of them, just because that's the card that is their pet card. Um, so I don't know how much of this is that guy. <laughs> or maybe there are 72 more guys like that that we haven't heard of that are in the same boat. Um, not a card that has any financial relevance really uh, other than that buy list may eventually catch up if this dude keeps draining supply so moving right along we've got Auntie's hovel at a lorwyn this is the black red goblins card where i think you have to re reveal a goblin goblin in your hand um, yes. or it comes into play tapped that is correct yeah so this is has gone from three to 15 almost 400 percent gain because we've got a peek at a couple of key goblins uh one of which was black red um that was the one that I thought was going to be Goblin Bombardment on a stick, but it wasn't. And Goblin Matron. And so uh, people immediately went after Hobble. And rightfully so. Uh, being able to play the uh, untapped land on turn one. Uh, I don't know if there's a lot of... I can't think of anything besides like the Festering Goblin and the variants of that that's uh, an early black. But being able to go like Goblin Guide into the Black-Red uh, goblin and not having paid any life or anything like that is pretty strong. And the more dual lands you can have, the better. I have no idea what the shape of a goblin deck will look like when all when the dust clears here. Uh, I'm not s convinced that they need the black splash necessarily, or what cards they would be looking to splash out of the sideboard, like Ley Lines or Surgical Extraction or Fatal Push. I have no idea. But, we, we've uh, been speculating about that. Um, my friends in the group chat were arguing about what the last... Uh, piece of the puzzle is going to be for goblins and uh, they need another one drop is the consensus they're not going to reprint lackey my favorite this is just complete speculation and if i'm right you can build a tower to me later is the one one for one that comes into play with a one one goblin token that's a card that exists no that's a card that would be awesome you're, you're proposing to, yes so one red for two one ones. That's a lot. That seems too good. Well, you can get a two two for one. Yeah, but two bodies is better. It is better, and that's why it would be super duper mega awesome. Huh. I I could see them doing that if there was a drawback, maybe. Yeah, something like that. I I think it'd be uh, awfully 
uh, great to have the the two for one, which would really encourage you to overcommit to the board with uh, War Chief and stuff like that. Interesting. Yeah, I definitely do believe that there are some spicy goblins to come, perhaps already revealed by the time people hear this. So next on the list, we've got Fist of Suns, both the 5th Dawn and Commander 2017 editions, going from about 3 or $4 up to 20 This is on the back of Morophon the Boundless, the new mythic that was revealed that makes uh, where if you partner it with Fist of Suns or Joda, uh, you can basically cast all sorts of creatures for free. You name a tribe, and then the tribe costs Wooberg less. And if you're paying Wooberg for your spells, congratulations, stuff is free. So that yeah. means uh, that you can indeed just uh, run rampant through your deck. Uh, if you're looking for the perfect accessory for something like this, uh, you probably want Cream of the Crop is my favorite if you're going to just keep casting uh, the same spell over uh, free creatures over and over again. But you you do you. This is another fun combo that somebody's going to go off with, and I'm going to go make a sandwich while they do so, and I'll come back and find out we're dead. <laughs> Good example of bad specs gone good because I distinctly remember going after this uh, as pertained to Joda when Dominaria spoilers were going on a year ago and picking up foils and German foils, some of which I sold, some of which have languished, that I certain are going to sell this week. Yes, I, I would not be surprised if this was not done. Um, cost reductions are great and we're probably going to get some more things to encourage people to play uh, creature decks, more tribal decks. Yeah. And the thing about Morophon is that there's so many different ways to build it. There's the no one you way, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that 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 is a... People haven't talked about it that much from a financial perspective, but I think Morophon is so open-ended. There are so many versions of the deck to build. It's worth comparing to Atraxa from that angle. That Atraxa also, because Proliferate interacts with so many different mechanics, Morophon interacts with so many different tribes. And so I find myself wondering whether Morophon will be interesting enough to people to, you know, say crack the top 20 or maybe the top 10 commanders in the next year. I know that there's no, I mean, you have to be playing a five color deck for it, or it's the commander for the five color version of the deck, but um, it would be an auto include in, in most, uh, any tribe. I mean, seven mana to get the Lord and now you have the cost reduction. Uh, I am going to slam, slam it into my Ur-Dragon deck. Uh, that is I just think, a, that's a given. I think an argument could be made that it might be a consideration for the best Sliver Commander. Oh, you son of a bitch. No, stop that. Right. Nobody nobody, no. nobody, do that. Stay away. Because there's a lot of two-color no, Slivers. Just stop it. Just stop it. You. And, and all of the five-color oh, ones are free. God. <laughs> See, the, and oh. this is the kind of thinking that I think, like, whether it's it is competitive or not won't matter. People are going to, someone's just going to say to someone, Hey, you could build elves like that. Hey, you could build dragons like that. Hey, oh God. You could build like that. And oh, then it's just going to go. And then just people are going to go, Oh yeah. Oh, I didn't think of that. Elves. Oh my God. I got this bad taste in my mouth. You degenerate jerk. Stop. Just stop uh, naming tribes. Let's move on. Oh my we, God. We haven't even, we haven't even got to the the guy you're gonna. I'm gonna give you a soapbox to go to complain uh, about yet. Uh, uh, um, listen, we're, we we um, there's a strong limit for for both of us put together on that. We're gonna get there. 
<sighs> so back to fiction EMA foils going from $3 to 20, uh, obviously because it's been revealed to be included factor fiction is now going to be modern legal, which is pretty cool. I'm excited to try to work that into the wilderness reclamation brews I've been working on. Oh, I think it's going to be real nice there. Oh, um, we get to introduce a whole new generation to uh, how to make proper fact, uh, factor fiction file. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That and, and invasion foils hit 60. Um, I'm a little confused here. I can see the argument for the invasion foils, not 100% on the argument for the EMA foils. There, it's not a buy a box. We are getting these in the set, and I think it's an uncommon, right? Yes. Yeah, so now there is one thing to be said. One of the key differences between mo between Modern Horizons and Master Sets is we will not be dealing with the really low foil multiplier that tended to play out in Master Sets right. due to the fact that there was a foil in every pack. Modern Horizons is more like a standard set. It's a normal foil distribution. So you might get you know one or two foil rares, usually just one, maybe a foil mythic, and a handful of foil commons, and maybe one or two foil uncommons in a box. And because of that, some of these key foils will be less uh, populous than you might expect. And this factor fiction printing uses art we've seen before. So it's not new art. And I, I'm with you. I think if you have foils from eternal masters, you should be dumping those as quickly as possible. The invasion yeah. foil, if you want to hold on to it, because now it's modern legal and you have That's the old order that is, I'm on board with that too. Yeah. Uh, so final card on the list, same kind of boat, uh, Lava Dart, Out of Judgment, foils going from $0.50 cents to $10. Nice old 1900% takeoff. Lava Dart didn't even seem to me like that big a deal when it was revealed, but then I started, you know, anything where you can cast it again for free. Free spells, dude. Free spells have been proven to be... Uh, Phoenix decks are playing gut shot just so they have the extra free spell. And uh, yes, sacrificing a mountain is a lot more than paying two life, but modern is really getting to this free spell uh, tip over point. You know, Getaxian Probe getting banned in Pauper, that's legal in just about as many formats as Black Lotus. So. Yeah, I'm not, this, I'm not clear on good. whether Lavadart slides into burn for modern, but it no. certainly seems to have. Fe is it Phoenix players excited? Right. I think that. Uh, didn't they just uh, reveal fire, uh, Firebolt? Yeah. Yeah, so Fireball seems like the much more likely inclusion in Burn uh, so that you can get your two damage right away, and if you flood, you've got that out. All right, so that wraps up our list of the top movers. We're going to move all, right on along to segment two, our cards to watch. Um, my first pick is a, is a retread. This is a pick I made a while back. I don't know how long ago it was, probably 6, 12, maybe 18 months. Um, but I was just going through an old list and, and looked this one up and was like, you know what, this is something people should probably be paying closer attention to. And I also noticed some people talking about it in the Discord this week, um, which reinforced for me that I should probably mention it again. The card in question is Zendikar Resurgent, in particular the foils from Oath of the Gatewatch, currently priced in around $5, but uh, not particularly deep supply, and I could easily see this being a $15 foil, say 6-12 months down the road, maybe 18 depending uh, on how it goes. The simple fact of the matter is that this you know, doubles up your mana in Commander, which is never an effect that uh, is... Out of style. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say unwanted, 
I was considering that there are some decks, in fact, that don't really care about getting the big mana. But green, probably the dominant color in EDH, often has good ways to, to use the mana. And Resurgence is just a, a fabulous EDH staple with thousands and thousands of decks uh, logged in EDH rec. Um, an important greed card in the format and hasn't seen a reprint, probably isn't going to see one for a while. Uh, so if you need a foil, certainly pick one up. If you wanted to stash, say, four, six, eight copies of the foils away for, say, target a year, I think you'd be looking at a double up pretty easily. This uh, strikes me as a card that will have a non-foil inclusion in a commander deck going forward, and you won't care because you stocked up on foils because you listen to us uh, and you're a smart person. I think that already happened, which oh, was part of my it? logic. I yeah, I think the original printing... Both the Gatewatch and then Commander 2017, we've already gotten it just two years ago. We sure so did. it could show up in Commander 2019, could show up in Commander 2020, but it could just as easily not. One thing to keep in mind is that the this year's Commander decks are apparently going to be juiced, according to uh, Gavin Verhe, um, which I think means another $20 or so worth of value in them would be my guess. Uh it can really help them fly, fly off the shelves and kind of get caught up on some of the commander cards that are getting a little pricey. And so this could, you know, this is probably not a priority print for them, uh, but we'll see. Um, foils likely to be safe. I do have a, a smidge of a suspicion that the commander decks might have extra foils this year. But then I think I saw news on a, I think I saw a vendor site or an eBay listing or something from a major vendor that had details of the set and seemed to suggest that it was the normal number of foils. I'd be surprised if they started throwing random foils in there because that means they need to um, like do a whole other sheet for these. Yeah, they have, and, to, they have to collate. Yeah, there's, stuff. It's, a, it's a whole thing. And they'd be better off um, if they wanted to make the money from us, they could do your long prophesied Commander Masters. Yeah, or a Commander's Arsenal-style product or whatever, Yeah, which any of those has got to be in the works. You'd think so. Uh, my first pick this week is also on the back of standard goodness is uh, Jace, Wielder of Mysteries. You can pick up the War of the Spark Planeswalker for around 3 bucks, And uh, I'm going to rant about Urza later, but being able to basically give yourself this win condition is uh, really awesome. This is a redundant win condition in any deck that was going to draw itself out, and now it's not just Lab Maniac, which is a creature and is much easier to kill at instant speed. Um, uh, blue decks love to just have infinite mana and do infinite things, and this means that uh, the Jace is now a win condition that doesn't matter what they have going on because you can just focus on yourself. And uh, I... I think that he's got some long-term potential, and I'm picking him up at three, and I'm hoping to trade him away again in the 10 range. What is your target exit date for $10 on this? Uh, I don't think it's going to be standard that does it. I think it's going to be uh, something in modern or something in commander. I think the new Urza is going to have a real effect on him. I think it'll be somewhere in the next 12 to 18 months. Hmm. As a mythic, I could I would be more on board. As a rare, especially coming out of the set that it's coming out of, which is already like displaying a ridiculous EV that has to retreat at some point uh, this summer. I think the Jace is going to be challenged. Um, and if I was going to go after it, I would probably be looking at 
either foils or the alt arts. So um, those are also perfectly valid. The alt arts are around 20-ish. The foils are around uh, 10, I think. And those are all great. Uh, I'm always a fan of um, you can get more copies of the smaller ones. Uh, you can fit those into whatever, you know, you throw a couple into your TCG player card and just round things out nicely. All right. Um, so my next pick is Judge Foil Crucible of Worlds, a card I'm not holding at the moment, or if I am, I might have like one copy, but I'm having a lot of trouble understanding how these are even still lying around. This is an old border Crucible. Crucible being a very important EDH card, uh, reported in something like 16,000 EDH rec decks. That's 5% of all reported decks. Top 50 colorless cards of all time. And there are all sorts of ways to abuse um, and reuse lands in Commander. And these are stunning. And because it got reprinted just last year in... Uh, Corset 19. Uh, Corset 2019. Um, and there is a Masterpiece printing, which is holding hanging in there at around $110. It has, you know, some limiting factors, but because the reprint is now behind us, I would expect that as the core 2019 foils start to climb and the masterpieces start to dry up, this is probably going to get dragged up the ramp in the same way that the Judge Foil Soul Ring got dragged up by the Masterpiece Soul Ring. Um, as far as I'm concerned, this is the best looking option to play. It's not the Masterpiece. The masterpiece is fine, but this, having seen these in person, these are really good looking foils and total inventory i wouldn't call it like quite at a tipping point but it has a very steep curve like you can get some copies around 60 and then there's some 70 dollars copies and then you're looking at like 85 90 100 and i see no reason why the why any of these are still lying around there is at at the moment of this recording there are 33 total copies on tcg player right and that's all all, all conditions, conditions. All, including the uh, heavily played foils, which, generally speaking, you should avoid. I never want to pick up. Yeah, I mean, foils. yeah, I don't. I don't like to pick up MPs of fancy cards. It just yeah. usually, if people are looking for a high end card, they also want it to be high end condition. Yep, and so it's much easier to move too. You don't have to worry about somebody uh, grading you badly. One of the other interesting things about this card is that because of the way it was distributed, or at least how English copies were distributed. Um, it's not any cheaper in Europe. Um, in fact, it's more expensive, which cuts off one of the avenues of resupply. Um, and anytime you see a situation like that, where you only have like 5, 10, 15, 20, you know, maybe 30 copies of something lying around all over North America, and there's no place to get cheaper copies elsewhere, that's a sure sign of a new plateau in store. Yep. Once you get past that uh, channel fireball wall of 13 copies, uh, you are clear to take off. That's an excellent All pick, right. James. Thank you. What's your next pick? Uh, my other pick this week is Nahiri the Harbinger uh, from Mythic Edition 3. Right now you can pick her up for around 40, and uh, that's that's too low. Um, all of the Mythic Edition 3s are at their max supply. People are getting them. They're flipping them, and they're trying to get out while they can, and you should be getting in on whatever cheap ones you need. Uh, I have already bought uh, a Sarkin Unbroken from one of our Discord members for 25 bucks because my Dragon deck really wants it. And uh, I'm just a big fan of, you know, there aren't any 
cheap, there's very few cheap inventions left. There's very few cheap invocations left. And these are arguably better. Uh, I don't want to get into the exact numbers, but uh, with them being at maximum supply and their cheapest price, now's your time to get and like any of them that are under 50. Garuk, Sarkin, Nahiri, just any of them. Grab them and be happy when they go up. A lot of sets are getting drained overseas because globally um, access to that extremely quick sellout was not easy on the overnight in other countries to the east of North America. Um, so basically Europe and and Japan had trouble participating. So we're a lot of the pro trader uh, members have been making arrangements with our peers in Europe to ship their mythic edition threes out over there, which drains supply to North America, obviously. And a lot of players are just keeping them. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of players that are, that are not into the speculation scene that just wanted a copy and got a copy and they're adding it to their cubes or they're breaking it up to put into commander decks. Maybe they traded a few copies off or sold a few off, but you know, I put together a spreadsheet, when we got the announcement based looking at overall popularity of the planeswalkers involved. So we got Jace, Ugin, Nicobolus, Dragon God, Tezzeret the Seeker, Garrick Apex Predator, Nahiri the Harbinger, Gideon Blackblade, and Sarkin Unbroken. And really only Sarkin Unbroken is, you know, kind of sketchy in the demand profile, but even that card has 3,400 reported decks on EDH Rec. Nahiri's got 3,800, Garrick's 4,200. And I made Tezzeret my pick recently because he's got 16,000. And especially now that we've seen Urza, I mean, Tezzeret slots right into the uh, first 10 cards you put into Urza. Yes, yes, it does. So so a lot of these are looking pretty good. The 12-month targets I have on the full set was something like 400 for Jace, 300 for Ugin, uh, 160 or so for Nicobolas. Tezzeret the Seeker was 120, Garrick 100, Nahiri at 80. So if you're saying pick her up at 40... Even if we only get to 60, you're still in real good shape. Yeah, um, this is uh, something, if you think about when the inventions were at their max supply, if you think about the other um, big promos they've done, just going back and picking them up at their cheapest would have been such a ridiculously great play. And this is your chance to get in on these because they are for sure not going to do any more of this particular Mythic Edition. The growth in premium Magic Cards, Masterpieces, and their ilk has often been in the cards that are undervalued up, up front versus the best cards that are published alongside them and are not required as four ofs. Because though four ofs can sell more copies overall, once four ofs get to a certain point, the number of people willing to purchase them for that price drops off dramatically. And that's why something like, you know, J Masterpiece Jace out of Mythic Edition is, you know, already a very expensive card, over $300. Um, but isn't going to have an easy time getting to six because that means a place that's 2,400 bucks, <laughs> which is crazy. It's the same thing, same reason that most of the highest end expeditions have held pretty steady close to what the price was the week they were revealed. Whereas other things like extra planar lens were, you know, a decent EDH card, but the focus wasn't really on snow lands. And now, oh, snow lands are getting republished in modern horizons. And I sold four of those today at close to a hundred dollars a piece having got in at 32 when they were completely undervalued. So I could easily see Nahiri um, who sees a modicum of both modern and commander play um, and is fairly open-ended synergy with things that you might want to do down the road. Um, you know, 
being in decently plentiful supply for a while. And then all of a sudden we're just going to be talking about how there's a tipping point. Yeah. I, I can't wait to see uh, all this happen all over again with their next promo version, the next promo yeah. set. So one of the other cards that is very close to a tipping point and an extremely short supply, I would guess only pro traders will be able to get their mitts on these at, at a reasonable price, um, given how few are still lying around. Rings of Bright Hearth uh, masterpieces are still out there in the like 120 to 130 range, but I think are v- overdue to post up closer to 200. Um, not only is Rings of Bright Hearth amazing in Planeswalker decks, which War has just fueled a ton of, both with Atraxa and otherwise, whether you're building... Uh, Nicol Bolas Dragon God themed decks or, you know, Attracts of Super Friends or whatever it is you're building for Commander. Um, it also works with a bunch of nasty things um, that are being revealed in Modern Horizons. And, you know, the all the different ways that you might uh, want to duplicate an effect of one of your permanents um, just rolls into this open-ended synergy that and a situation where there's no further supply. Like, no one's cracking Kaladesh boxes looking for masterpieces right now. Ooh, that is a pricey proposition. That is golden ticket levels of optimism. Um, yeah, this is... I, I'm Honestly, the masterpieces, I used to think that uh, they'd hit a, a top, and now uh, seeing what, like, the magic market is capable of with these uh, special editions of things... Uh, I am no longer convinced there's a top to anything. So uh, the Rings of Brighthearth, uh, fire away, man. Let's, uh, it's one of the more degenerate cards. There's a whole bunch of combos with it. Every creature with an activated ability is going to want this, and that's basically, uh, you know, what, two-thirds of them? The, all the rest are triggered abilities, like they come into play. So, yeah, this is a, a slam, and I will not be shocked when in, what, Six months, they're selling for $200. Probably more like a year. You tack two onto the cost of activating Urza's just ability. Stop it. You're, it just, you're just fucking with me. And <laughs> you just stop. Just stop. Yeah, um, so there really just aren't that many of these left lying around. Um, and I suspect by next week, there'll be even fewer. Fair enough. Uh, let's move on to our third segment this week, which is the weekend review for uh, two big events we had we had the uh magic well it's one event with two formats the magic online championship series we had the uh top eight for modern which ran uh phoenix tron humans and this oh so spicy reanimator deck and then we had standard with a white weenie deck jeskai control uh a precinct one deck and uh my favorite the jeskai planeswalkers but uh what jumped out at you out of either of these well, because in these mixed format tournaments, it's always important to look at what decks performed best in their formats. And for Modern, it was Dredge with 12 points and Human with 12 points. And they were both in relatively classic configurations based on recent patterns of, of appearance. Um, Phoenix, uh, I think it was the mono-red version of Phoenix, had nine points, Hardened Scales, nine, Burn, nine, Affinity, nine. And that Instant Reanimator was certainly the most interesting one. Um, the card that jumped out at me there, not financially, but just like, wow, that's a modern card, was Generator Serpent. Yeah. This is a 2-1 from, from Magic 2015. 
um, for one and a red. Sacrifice gener generator servant, add two colorless to your mana pool. If that mana is spent on a creature spell, it gains haste. So you you use that to uh, cast Ilharg, the Razebore, and then he pulls like Gristlebrand or Emrakul out of your hand, and you go to town. The fact that we're going M, uh, what was it, M15? Yeah, M15 common into just released or the Spark Mythic Rare Ilharg, and then dropping Gristlebrand for <laughs> the eternal uh, joy of I'm going to just make your life miserable uh, is pretty fantastic. Um, even if you don't get the full Annihilator trigger off of popping Emrakul into play, the deck is also playing the Through the Breach package and the Gorio's Vengeance package just to add some real layers of combo on there. Because the only thing better than a combo deck is a redundant combo deck. Yeah, and that's and that's what the servant's all about is adding a little bit more redundancy. Like you've got four Gorius Vengeance, you've got four through the breach, but if you don't have them in hand, maybe you're just trying to ramp to your plan. And Ilharg only costs six, so and you've got four Simeon Spirit Guides in the deck. So in theory, if you drop turn two Generator Servant, then play a third land, and you've got a Simeon Spirit Guide in hand, you could have a turn yep. four Ilharg, right? That is not unheard of at all. Sorry, turn well, you're three. Well, yeah, you're playing the generator three turn lands. two, and then uh, Ilharg's only five mana yep. because that's the world we live in with a five mana six six trample with extra spice on top of it. Oh my god, these cards. Oh yeah, you don't even need. Oh yeah, you don't even need the the Simeon Spear Guide. I thought no, Ilharg it's a five drop. drop. He's a five drop. Right, so if you drop three lands and, and tap your servant, then you got Ilharg on three, whether or not you got the Simeon Spear Guide in hand. So so in fact, you could, <laughs> if you had double, if you have double spirit guide, generator servant and Ilharg, you could turn no. two, turn one well, the, servant, the servant. Servant right? is a tap ability, turn, so you can't like, you need to do. Yeah, so turn two, you but turn two, you tap the servant. You have two lands in play, four, and then discard two Simeon spirit guides, and you could turn two the Ilharg. No, you so you chuck <laughs> one spirit guide and the land for the turn one servant, and then your opponent's like, what the hell's going on? Turn two, sack the servant, play your other land, remove a second spirit guide, Ilharg, GG, thanks for playing. Oh my god, Ilharg, Ilharg it's, plus Emrakul. It's Magical Christmas Land, like, hand sculpting. Yeah, but yeah. Ilharg plus uh, Emrakul is just 21 damage straight up, too, so who needs Annihilator? Yeah. Whew. Also, uh, um, worth noting that uh, Tron is picking up the... Um, the the one or two of on blast zone that is a card they'll they've already got a lot of land find going on so when they need to go find the un uh disruptable uh land version of oblivion stone they've got that available to them too so keep uh you might i'm not moving in on foils or anything of that yet but i want to keep an eye on that well, especially because Blast Zone is a rare in the same set as Karn the Great Creator, which is a four of in that deck and a four of in multiple other decks. Ooh. So, I mean, if you're going to pick one of the two to go after... Well, we, we'd already Karn, talked about Karn, so I they... just didn't want to rehash myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's just like, it's it's a very easy comparison because they're both essentially colorless and so have the same kind of potential for how many different decks they can go into. Um and you would think, if you would ask me, you know, two weeks ago, which one was more likely right. to have the higher overall utility in the format, I, I would have said it was Blast Zone. Um, but it, it turns out that Karn's toolbox 
uh, sideboard capabilities are just add so much utility to whatever Oof. deck they slide into where where you can make it work. Now, we didn't actually talk about the nine-point deck, the balance deck. There was a deck with four Greater Gargadon, two Simeon Spirit Guide, a bunch of red uh, and blue uh, uh counter spells and burn spells and draw spells and ancestral visions and restore balance with four as foretold adjacent the mind sculptor python uh python needle relic of progenitus and tormont's crypt oh that's a pretty awesome just anything with balance uh having played enough with balance early on in uh my magic young formative years i'll start flinching if somebody taps one in a white early on in a game especially if there's a zurin orb <laughs> it's not that this list is new. Like we've seen variants on this for a couple of years now, but this particular configuration looks like relatively well tuned for the meta. Um, moving over to standard, um, nothing really jumped out at me. Um, let me just see. There was a couple of things. Um, I do appreciate the. Uh... I guess. I guess. It, I guess it was really just that the Jeskai Planeswalkers was posting up top aids. That there was two copies of Mox Amber in the deck, um, four Narset Parter of Veils, four Sark and the Masterless, and four Teferi Time Raveler, all cards I put money into up front. Uh, pretty impressed with the number of Planeswalkers <laughs> that are playable out of war. Like, they did not pull punches. They did not. And I think Narset might be um, possibly the most uh, influential of all of them because all the. Like we're so trained to get our incremental uh, card value, and Narset just keeps saying no, no, you may not, you may not get your extra card off your Teferi activation, no extra cards for you, and uh, it, it's is breathtaking to see uh, how many people are not paying attention to that, and uh, I, I hope that one day you have the joy of somebody trying to. Um, they bounce something else with their Teferi and they go to draw their card. You're like, I'm sorry. No, you may not. And it just feels so good. Um, spell pierce. If you have, if you've never spell pierced something from somebody who wasn't expecting it. Oh my God. I, I haven't spell pierced anything since original Zendikar and I forgot how good it feels. Yeah. It's nice to take down a spell for one mana. The, it sure uh, is. Sanders looking like it's in good shape. Modern is kind of a, who knows what's ha- about to happen because we're, we're already seeing great cards. And on that note, we may as well move on into segment four. We're going to take a look at the latest Modern Horizon spoilers. It is the night of May 22nd tonight. So oh my God, they probably... just spoiled the card while we were doing this. What is this Fire Breath card? <laughs> what is it? It's called it's called Fire Breath. It's a two and a red enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, each opponent gains ten life. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, put a verse counter on it. Then it deals damage equal to the number of verse counters on it to target player or planeswalker. <laughs> this is like this is like the hare saying to the tortoise, "I'll give you a head start." Because the first one is one, second one is two, third one is three, and then so. Four spells, you've made it back. I'm... Huh. So, you know you know what you know what deck everybody's building for Commander this slots right into? Feather. Because whenever... 
Feather's running like what 12, 12 to 16 cantrips. <laughs> so so this is this has like a little group hug component where you're putting 30 or more life on the board for your for your opponents, but then you just start going off. Because because once fire breath why once fire breath is on the board, Feather gets to if Feather has like defiant strike and four white mana, then on on that one on that one turn cycle, you do it four times. And fire breaths is from there on out doing five, six, seven, eight, nine damage per cast of anything, and that will finish a game nice and quick. That that's a nasty one. I don't know about modern for that because it's a three drop enchantment that doesn't do anything right away, and burn doesn't really need the help. So yeah, really that's sure. a, that's a real win more card because if you cast four burn spells, you've already dealt them twelve ish damage. I don't know. I'm I'm gonna be impressed to see what people are gonna come up with though. Uh, maybe add that to uh, some janky Jaya Fire Mage uh, add one damage to everything sort of deck. Some Flame of Keld thing. Who knows? So probably the biggest reveal of the day was that you know contrary to my predictions, we are not getting snow duels, um, which kind of surprised me. Instead, we're getting a new dual land series, which is in a configuration uh, most akin to Horizon Canopy. Uh, but we're getting enemy duels for in that in that model. So, uh, for instance, Fiery Islet makes uh, blue or red if you tap and pay one life. So it's a pain land by default. And then if you pay one and tap and sacrifice it, you get to draw a card. Um, not every modern deck is going to run a full complement of these. But a lot of modern decks now have the option of upgrading into strictly better mana in the early game. So the question that every deck is going to have to answer is, uh, will you end up paying more in this than a Shockland? The answer is probably yes. But are you going to want the card? And a lot of decks are also going to say yes to that too. So the the flexibility is a, a tough place to land. Uh, Horizon Canopy is a surprisingly common land in modern, but it's the only one that had this cash in your land deal. So now we get to see, was it uh, the colors holding it back or was just every deck wanting to play it? Um, yeah, and, I don't, and as I said, I don't think it's every deck, but I can already think, you know, people have already been talking about um, some key places where these are just strict upgrades. Like, is it Phoenix probably wants Fire Islet? Is it Phoenix white, definitely wants White it. Red Bird certainly wants Sunbaked Canyon because getting white red with... Burn decks are going to play both of them. And, you know, any Death Shadow deck that is happy to lose life. So... Thousand percent. A few of yes. their cards are certainly... A few of their lands will certainly be replaced by maybe Nurturing Peat Land. And we're seeing these out the gate in the, like, 20 to $30 range on various retailer sites. Um, I suspect... I suspect that you wait <laughs> for that price. Yeah, that feels high to me there, too. Yeah. There's going to be a very uh, glutted peak supply period for this set. Like everyone's buying this. I've already bought four cases or something. So, <laughs> and 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 I haven't even put in my order yet for Russian boxes. You, um, oh, you picture. Picture what foil Russian fiery eyelet's going to be worth in a few years when it's only ever been printed in a premium set. Uh, a lot. It's going to be worth a yeah. lot. It's going to be like a two hundred dollar card. <laughs> so the, you know, this is a great land cycle. 
Um, it's exactly the kind of adding options without necessarily invalidating other options that uh, I think is important for the format um, in terms of providing the, the, the mana base toolbox that allows you to build a lot of different kinds of decks. One of the things I am getting concerned with in modern though, is that there are so many land cycles in play that any individual light land cycle is both um, unlikely to catch a reprint anytime soon because there's just so many to deal with over time, but also um, not as central to the format as it might be otherwise years ago when there was only a few options. So, I mean, legacy is primarily defined by shock, uh, by fetching um, uh, a duel. Fetching a duel. Modern, not so much. Modern, very diverse mana bases, depending on which deck you're looking at. So, it's important to keep on top of you know, the top 50 list for lands in modern and look at the inclusion rates on goldfish so that you can make sure that things like, you know, I'm holding foil spire bluff canals and foil blooming marsh. Definitely going to be taking a hard look at whether or not those are actually going to be in as much demand with these lands lying around. Yeah. The, um, since these are only in enemy colors, it's not going to be, um, too much, but then again, when are they going to get around to giving us the allied colors? Because if there's one thing magic players hate, it's incomplete cycles. So uh, I, I figure eventually we'll get the other five uh, versions of this. Like, so now we've got six of them. So because we've got horizon canopy, which is an allied color. So we need four more ally colors of this. And, you know, we're, we tend to run in the same circles where, we want things to be complete and even. And uh, as an example, in my uh, Uncommon Cube, I took out one of the um, double one color, double another color. And it every time I think about it, it just like, it's like biting on tinfoil. It hurts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's an easy inclusion for a future ancillary set, like a Battle Bond 2 kind of thing. Um, like that, that will sell boxes like no problem because Horizon Canopy is going to be in less demand, but is going to go longer without a reprint yeah. in this scenario. So, um, all sorts of fun and interesting things going on in here. I mean, we saw another snow creature chiller pillar. <laughs> <laughs> they are big on the puns this time around. <laughs> yeah, but like the but pretty high quality. Like I don't think anybody's complaining about how cute they got with some of these names. We also got Pondering Mage, which is a 3-4 for 3 and 2 blue that ponders when it comes into play. Yeah, um, Skeletal. Limited card. Oh, um, Giver of... Everybody's talking about Giver of Runes, the new Mother uh, of Runes. One for a 1-2, so one extra toughness. Tap another target creature you control gains protection from colorless or from the color of your choice. So you can now protect against Eldrazi and Infinity, artifacts and so forth, but you can't protect uh, your core cleric with their own ability. Unless, of course, you have two of them on the battlefield, then they can protect oh, each other. Oh, yeah, because that's what you really need is the... the, the yeah, um, you're right. Uh, this is the fixed. We're, we're getting a lot of fixed versions of things, and I'm I'm into it. I, I like that these are going to be good, but not perfect. Like thank God, Pondering Mage. They gave it a significant body, and they made it cost five mana. Like thank you. We got uh the we got Brainstorm so, Creature in one of the Ixalan ones, and that was four mana. So we've got this this whole like these one mana cantrips. Well, let, let's put a creature on them and slap another three or four mana on. I like that. 
it's nice that there's a nod to old cards, even if they're not willing to give them to us in the format. The uh, one of the things that I think is interesting is that the giver of runes being a core cleric um, and not a human, which, as we said, many people are thankful for, might signal additional core in the set. Which leads me to wonder whether you might be getting a Stormforge Mystic replacement, uh, or and therefore enemy colored swords. Sorry, allied colored swords. Um, because we've been waiting on those for a long time and people were, you know, early on suggesting that that cycle might get completed here could easily be something that is revealed in the next few days. Uh, we've got the black and green, uh, forces. Uh, they're pretty great. Uh, force of vigor is a, a card I'm a, I'm a big fan of. I think that no less than four or five different uh, people I follow on Twitter were like, oh my god, this will break up the Karn combo, and then immediately it's like, oh, no, wait, it won't. Sorry. Yeah, because Microsynth Lettuce makes uh, all spells and all zones colorless, so exactly. uh, you can't pitch a green card because you don't have any green cards. Yep. Um, how However, about... still a very strong card and going to be useful uh, in, in a lot of modern ways. and commander, yeah. Force of yeah. Despair is the one double black instant. Uh, destroy all creatures that entered the battlefield this turn, and it also has the pitch ability. Um, only, like, holds back decks like Phoenix and uh, Dredge for, like, maybe a turn, but maybe see some play. I'm a little concerned that there are also, you know, cards out there like Bantu's Last Reckoning that have been experimented with in Modern, and of course Damnation is still present. And yeah. the more variations you have, you have the same kind of problem as, like, too many land cycles. It's not the kind of thing you necessarily ever run as a four of. It's more of a one or a two of possibly out of this board, and that's not the kind of thing you want to be investing in. Now, you mentioned uh, earlier when we talked about the Goblin Land, uh, why you would splash into black. The answer is the Goblin that they... Uh, spoiled the munitions expert has flash it's black red one one and when it comes into play deal damage to a creature or planeswalker equal to number of goblins you control this is quite easily two mana flash creature uh flame tongue you deal three or four damage pretty quick and uh if it said player this would be just like the stone nuts but as it is it's still very very good yeah and the flash is newish like you don't see flash on a goblin all that often it's true and and this set from a in limited it's going to be cute because they have all these changelings so you could have a board full of changelings and then they whammy you with the expert out of nowhere i'm nodding over here like you can see me nodding but yes that is exactly what's on point um what do you think uh we didn't get uh snow duels but we got prismatic vista the uh, upgraded Evolving Wilds or downgraded Fetch Land, whichever you want to call it. The land comes into play, tap, pay a life, sacrifice it, search for any basic and put it onto the battlefield. It's not tapped. So you're paying one mana for this effect and you have to go find a, a basic instead of whatever else you wanted to fetch up. Uh, this feels like a card that um, in modern, you're incentivized to play a couple of basics due to Ghost Quarter and Path to Exile, but I, I just can't see a lot of modern decks trying real hard with this. I could, in certain decks, I can see this being a one or a two of, where they their mana base demands that that land come in untapped and they can't afford for it to be a shock, just in case. Um. 
it's weird. It, it, this is a finicky, like a, a technician's card, and I am definitely not a <laughs> in a position to be commenting on the technical uh, aspects of building mana bases in modern because I'm just not spending enough time on it. So the I think the card's very interesting, and I think it dances nimbly in between the the pre-existing design space of Fetchlands and Terramorphic Expanse. So it's a cool card. Um, I, I I need to see you know the Star City Games Jerry Thompson where I'm going to use this in modern article before I'm going to decide how I feel about it financially. I suspect. It's not a major player here. There's going to be a lot of important cards in this set, and this is probably out on the fringes. I'm with you on that. I don't see a big future in this. I really want the uh, Ball of Lightning to be good, the Skele- Lightning Skelemental, the black, red, <laughs> black, Who red, doesn't? red for a 6-1, and uh, haste, trample, and when it hits somebody, they discard two cards, and then you sacrifice turn. It's just it's so much that you are doing for so little. I really, really, really want this to but I, I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced. If Ball Lightning isn't enough to make it into a burn deck, this probably isn't either. I don't know. You get it's slightly worse mana, but they discard two cards, and it's got Trample. This a yes. This this card. This is a very pushed Ball Lightning. Um, I I don't know. That, the, the, the weird thing about this card is there's no obvious deck for it, but I find myself wondering whether Jund would run it. Uh, Jund really wants to uh, attrition you out, and after you've gone like Thought Seize, turn one, turn two, Inquisition, turn three, lay this down and just smash face. Like That's hard to argue with, man. That is hard. <laughs> uh, Bloodbraid Elf can hit this, right? <laughs> Oh my lord! I forgot what it was like to bloodbraid into blinding, and now I get to bloodbraid into this. Wait a second! Sign me up. Isn't bloodbraid a three-two haste creature? Yes. Right. So if you bloodbraid into a lightning skelemental, you hit for nine, and they discard two. Yep. <laughs> That's cute. Um, certainly, people will try. Um, and I have no idea if they will succeed. And this is one of the things I think is so amazing about this set is that, from a financial perspective. Uh, those who are in a position to best assess these very complex and difficult cards um, uh, are going to profit. <laughs> and th- this is one of these cases where if you if that's not you, then you want to be consuming as many articles as possible by some of the you know the f- sharpest deck builders in the game and looking for those early streams um, of you know decks on Magic Online where the brewers start to put their best ideas for you know, put their best foot forward with their ideas um, because there's going to be, there are going to be cards that are expensive right out of the gate that everybody, you know, agrees are important. Like the, the new fetch lands, uh, sorry, the new uh, horizon lands, but there's going to be a bunch of cards like this that aren't easy to evaluate. Another one of them that I was kind of surprised to see at mythic instead of rare um, and had me then second guessing how good the card actually is. Like, is this better than I'm seeing it to be? is the seasoned pyromancer one yeah. double red two two i'm not excited so far but when it enters the battlefield discard two cards then draw two cards okay double loot great um for each non-land card discarded this way create a one one red elemental creature token three double red exile it from your graveyard and create two one one red elemental creature tokens this feels like a standard card it feels very odd to be in this set 
Yeah, uh, I was wondering about that too. Uh, even with the graveyard ability, this feels like something that got bumped to mythic and probably was rare. I would not be shocked if this was uncommon either. Uh, it's a little too strong for uncommon. I think it'd be busted and limited at, at uncommon. Um, but it feels like a rare that, like a throwaway rare, but the fact that they promoted it just has me question marking. Um, we spoke briefly about Morophon, the boundless 6-6 uh, six, six for 7 mana, legendary creature shapeshifter. So it is every creature type. As it enters the battlefield, you choose a creature type. Spells of the, the chosen type you cast cost Wooberg less to cast, as you said earlier, and other creatures you control of the chosen type get plus 1, plus 1. So <clears throat> essentially best in tribes where the way you're going to build the deck um, has a lot of multicolored cards that can take get the biggest cost dis uh, reductions and uh, that can appreciate the plus one plus one. Pretty open-ended. Lots of funny ways this is going to get built over the years. Interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, it's going to be great in the 99 or as the commander. Um, I'm really glad Collected Conjuring is a sorcery and not an instant. I don't need control decks <laughs> like, oh, wait, let me see if there's a counterspell on my top six. Oh, look, there is. Congratulations. You now hate yourself. Uh, you know, you know what? It was definitely an instant, and in testing, they were like, there, "There's no way." They, they, well, probably. Well, I'm just glad that they fixed it because um, end of turn factor fiction is good enough. We don't need collected conjuring end of turn. If that had been instant, oh, I, I, no. there might have been even like there might have been a oh, whole new like counter burn deck that would have no, come out of that. I don't want to hear it. I just don't. I, I'm I'm a little, and the funny thing is, I bet you they nerfed they it twice. The first nerf was making it a sorcery. The second nerf was that it could only hit sorceries. Yes, absolutely. This is probably uh, all due to counter wars and shenanigans and foolishness. There was probably some really good games internally. I'm sure we'll hear some good stories. We got the confirmed art for Astral Drift. This is the two white enchantment that you can cycle for two white. Whenever you cycle it or cycle another card while Astral Drift is on the battlefield, you may blink a creature, essentially. Um, this is going to be a huge card in Commander. Oh, for man. Can't wait. Uh, who knows if there's a cycling deck yet? We haven't seen We're, the rest well, of this. This is another set with 40-odd yeah. keywords, so we probably won't see a lot of like dedicated cycling, but we'll see some. So, one of the other snow creatures we got to see is Ice Fang Coatl. 1-1 uh, Flash Flying, whenever it enters the battlefield, draw a card, and if you have at least three other snow permanents, it gets Death Touch. The fact that all of the snow cards we've seen so far rely on additional snow permanents leads me to believe that that vein is going to run pretty deep in this. Well, um, forgive the phrase, but snow permanents kind of snowballs and that you start playing more and more snow permanents and you, you get to the, um, the tipping point on it pretty quickly, especially if you're hardcore on the lands. Um, drafting the lands, there's going to be a lot of articles about this, like how early you pick the snow lands. There's going to be 24 for your entire draft pod. So you want to be real careful about that. Um, do you think that uh, they'll do, uh, with Ice Fang being in the set, do you think Baleful Strix is still in? It does. It seems odd if to, to have both and for this one to be so close. So my, my instinct is no at this point. The, it's possible it didn't test well. Um, the, the other thing with the snow stuff though, is if the theme isn't that deep, 
then it seems to suggest that we are getting snow in a forthcoming standard set or that the core seems, set. Well, I mean, we snow is already a because if they only give you a taste and the cards are only good with lots of snow, then it seems very silly if they don't give you that. Well, snow like Chiller Pillar needs double snow. Um, one of the things they did, um, they gave us one snow mana rock in Cold Steel Heart, and they gave us one snow elf. Uh, I don't remember what it was called, but it was a one green. Yeah, Boreal Druid. Boreal Druid. So, unless there's a lot more going on, and we're seeing like a lot of other mechanics, like they did not appear to go too deep on snow. So maybe uh, if you want to draft a snow deck, you'll be one of two people drafting it, and it'll be a lot easier that way. We got a lot of cards left to go. We're only looking at uh, 52 cards so far, including the Snowlands. Yeah. All right, so that's about about where we're at right now. There was, uh, you know, Nimble Mongoose was revealed. That that's some. It's represents that they're willing to put Shroud into Modern. That surprises me. Um, leads me to believe that if there are slivers, oh, maybe oh Crystalline Sliver is in, as is. Um, I did pick up some foils of that a while back, which could be good if that's true. Um, you know, Spore Frog is cute. Uh, we have not a relevant fixed preordain. Um, yep, yeah, Diabolic Edict being printed is kind of odd, given that the Liliana's Triumph is just a better version thereof for modern, and we just got it in war. Undead Augur, probably worth uh, flagging. Uh, whenever... Undead Augur or another zombie you control dies, you draw a card and lose a life, and it's a 2-2 two, two for 2. That's a that's a solid one. That's uh, zombie goodness all over the place. Uh, I believe that'll take us to one of the cards that's just going to define my commander experience for the next 10 years. <laughs> this Urza High Lord Artificer. Wow. Two double blue. Legendary creature, human artificer. <laughs> it's a human. When, 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 sorry, I'm sorry. When, when Urza Lord High Artificer enters the battlefield, create a zero zero colorless construct artifact creature token. With this creature, it gets plus one plus one for each artifact you control. Funny thing there is that's the least important part. Yeah, that's the construct. Yeah. Even though that could be a one four plus a four four five five six six seven seven for four. Right. Uh, Tap an untapped artifact you control, add a blue to your mana pool. Five, shuffle your library, then exile the top card. Until end of turn, you may play that card without paying its mana cost. Wow. And the art and the art is amazing. It is but... great art, and it's going to be a pricey foil. And I'm just, anybody who has this as their commander, I'm just going to walk away. There is no way that I'm going to lose half an hour of my life to watching this blue artifact deck just basically play with itself for 20 minutes, win the game, and nobody else does anything. Uh, this card is just en encouraging. Even if it didn't have the tap and untapped artifact clause, if it just had the five mana thing going on, that means that your blue deck has made infinite mana, and now you play your commander, and now you infinitely do this until you hit your blue sun zenith, and then you uh, draw your whole deck down to uh, with no cards, and then you play Jace, and then you get plus Jace and you win. And this is going to happen a whole bunch. And the word, the, uh, as if that wasn't enough, now we get this almost 
uh, Tolarian Academy level bullshit with uh, the tap and untapped artifact to add blue. This is yeah, and this is and this is in mono blue artifacts where you're gonna have like paradox engine untapping your permanence at the end of every turn. Oh my god, is this now the the real question is is this good enough for the assorted uh, prison decks? They they don't run a lot of creatures, but the, there are ones that'll run like a psi. Or uh, this does instantly make the um, Thopter Sword combo infinite and not just dependent on how much mana you have. Yeah. So, so this, uh, this was Command Zone's card to reveal. Um, they said it was busted level good. Everybody seems yeah. to agree. The yeah. chief complaint is that it might have a Vanifer type problem where you know people thought Vanifer would be the most important commander out of Ravnica Legions, but it actually turned out to be Tessa because she's a more interesting and fun kind of grindy commander whereas vanifar tended to just kind of win on the spot a lot of the time if she got to untap and people's concerns with urza will be the same that if if you are playing a tuned version of the deck it's like you said it's going to be a bunch of dirtle in the and then you shuffle back up again so i mean i think the card's great i think foils are going to be expensive i'm certainly going to get a russian foil it's probably going to be a hundred dollars plus right out of the gates um <laughs> Cool card. Art's amazing. Um, and I, I I hear whispers we're not done with super classic characters. So of look course some, we're not. Of look course some, we're not. Look for some other sexy old school magic characters to show up in previews near you shortly. We're only 20% of the way into the set. We've got a lot of other shenanigans to come. You're exactly right about that. All right, so we will certainly have more Modern Horizon stuff next week. Uh, Travis is off; was off this week because he is uh, moving house. He bought a new place, so he's getting all his yeah. stuff moved in. Um, we also need to call out uh, our listener who wins the $25 store credit from our sponsor, Cool Stuff, Inc. That is going to be Daigoro um, in the uh, MDG Price Discord. Um, that's a wrap for this week. Where can people find you online, Cliff? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Word of Commander, as well as my uh, articles up every Friday on mtgprice.com. And you guys can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic, as well as via my weekly articles on mtgprice.com. Uh, and more frequently, I am haunting the MTG Price Pro Trader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service. For just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. And that's not just marketing BS, quite frankly. <laughs> I had at least 10 different people today tell me in the Discord that either one of us or one of the other members made them a bunch of money this week. So the, the disc uh, I have not seen a Discord this active and accurate i don't believe ever polite polite friendly getting deals done buying selling cards hooking people up it's really there's, going a, well. there's a lot of that we're we're getting a lot of stuff from each other which is a, a fun addition to it uh once yeah. again mtg fast finance is proudly sponsored by cool stuff inc where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock including all the best magic singles sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles don't forget to use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support the podcast. That does bring us to the end of another episode of MTG Fast Finance. I enjoyed our discussion and having you back on, Cliff. 
I hope you have some fun with the Modern Horizon spoilers as they unfold, and we'll see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Yeah.